yeah. Thought it was longer. Didn't have enough time. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Glad you were able to make it out. I love when the weather cooperates, when the holidays start, and then and it, it feels more holiday-ish. This is as close as it gets to matching all the Christmas specials, right? This is like our, our, our version of winter weather. So, and just so you know, if you need help after the service, our plaza hosts will help you with your change and things like that if you need it uh, to get home. And <laughs> anyway, well, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, we, to me, it's, it's always one of those, it really is probably my favorite holiday. It, it really is because it kicks off this holiday season and I love, I've mentioned before, I love walking through stores and hearing Christmas music. I love the Christmas movies that are on TV. And I, I don't like the Hallmark ones, sorry. I know that Hallmark has like two months in a row of constant Christmas movies all day long. I didn't even know you could possibly make that many. But, but there are, you know, and there are always like some department store manager falls in love. And, you know, sorry, did I spoil it? Anyway, so... Great shows, um, but I, I, I love the season that those are all on. It's just kind of fun for me. And I think the reason I like Thanksgiving so much is my wife and our foodies, we love food. And, and so in Thanksgiving, now I don't like food because you can gorge yourself. I like Thanksgiving because you get a bunch of little tastes of, of a lot of different types of food. That's, that's like true foodie style when you can try a lot of things. So I like that. And through our years... I realized this year was the 20th year that my wife and I have hosted Thanksgiving dinner at our house, which is crazy. We started when we were 12, but um, so, which is a long time, but it's funny to see through the years how our food has kind of evolved and, and almost we've grown up um, and from the very first Thanksgiving when it was the two of us with a giant turkey with the little um, innards and giblets baked inside of it in the plastic and, and to where now trying all the different ways uh, of making it better and and we even I remember the year when my wife she we we made the transition she was trying different ways and went to this the cranberry sauce and, and went to the gourmet cranberry sauce with whole cranberries you know it's really nice and and my brother was there and he couldn't find that he's like where's the cranberry sauce he was looking for you know it should be shaped like a can with the little ridges he's like where's the cranberry sauce because it didn't have those ridges it was harder to find um and, and then and then the year when she added like these baked chestnuts into the stuffing and some sausage and all this and my family who were midwesterners said i didn't even know stovetop put chestnuts in their in their stuffing and, and how do they keep the sausage from going bad in the box it was amazing so but so our years our, our meal has kind of progressed and we've gotten a little more gourmet in, uh, throughout the years but so for me it's just it's a blast I, I totally love uh, Thanksgiving for that and um, we have a tradition in our home where the weekend of Thanksgiving so this would be last night we decorate our, our tree together as a family and the kids are part of it and and even last night my dog was getting excited for Christmas and and he because he knows like every year he gets like an old stuffed animal thrown under the tree and on Christmas day he gets to tear it up you know and have the stuffing everywhere so well, he saw the tree go up last night and he just started walking around really excited like is it that day already and he he laid down he's not even allowed in the living room so he got as close as he's allowed to go and he laid there and this is a 110 pound golden retriever and he just sat there wagging his tail the whole time like I just love Christmas. This is fantastic. So, 
It's just kind of, there's something that happens during this season. It's just something that lightens the mood, and, and I love it. And I really do believe it's part of God's way of his common grace given to all of us that no matter how much we commercialize this thing, no matter how much we make it about what it's not really meant to be about, God finds a way to keep telling his story and bringing his news to people who want to hear and who need to hear. So for us here at Seacoast today, we start our new series called God Came Down, and we will be using this this month, it's called the Season of Advent, and which literally just means the coming, or it means coming, and it's an ancient Christian tradition where you take this month leading up to Christmas to kind of recall the story of Christmas and to prepare our hearts to celebrate the significance of what it means that God came down. So that's what we'll be doing here today as we start. Now I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 1. Now you already heard one of the Advent readings for today, and it was in Luke chapter 1. It was a story of, a, of the angel's appearance to Mary. And we want to read the, the counterpart to that, or the one that goes with it, and this is Joseph's perspective. And we're going to take those two today and look at this and say, how did this fit in the very first Christmas? What was this like for them? So book of Matthew, which is about two thirds of the way through the Bible, for those of you who are new with it, and you are always welcome to use a tablet or smartphone if you are comfortable with that. So Matthew chapter one, verse 18, it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, the son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the, the Lord through the prophet, when he said, Behold, the virgin will be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife but kept her virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So let's think about those passages today as we get started. Pray with me before we get into the text. God, we thank you so much for today. I thank you again for this time. Thank you for this season. And I thank you for the meaning of the story of Christmas, that you came down, that you are with us. God, speak to us now uh, in this place. We come with, with fears, with, with doubts, with pain, some with new joy, all kinds of different perspectives. But God, you meet us here in this place. So would you speak to us and help us hear from you today? In your name, amen. I want to tell you about one of the most crazy experiences I ever had. You see, it was back when I was engaged to my wife. We uh, fell in love and families, we were betrothed to be married. And, and in our culture, when you're engaged, it's as good as being married for your culture. You see, it's a period of about a year time that you're engaged. But you 
have chaperones with you and you have people walking with you because it takes a year to prove that you will be loyal, that you can be pure, that you are the, can save yourself for each other and live a righteous life. And so we were engaged like every other like a normal Hebrew couple. Imagine my surprise the day when my wife, soon-to-be wife, came to me and she said, Hey, Joseph, I don't really know how to explain this, so I'm just going to say it, but I'm pregnant. But before you get nervous, before you get upset, it's from God. You can imagine my response. That was kind of hard to swallow. My whole world, all of my dreams, all of our thoughts, everything I had imagined would be true of our family came crashing down in that moment. What do you mean you're going to have a child? I know that I've done my part. I know I've been faithful. How could you have done this to us? She said, no, you must understand. An angel appeared to me explained it to me and said that I'll be carrying the child of God, the Son of God, and give birth to him. The angel reminded me of what the prophet Isaiah said and said, unto you a son will be given, a child will be born. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Almighty Father, Prince of Peace. I heard that and I just thought, I still, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it doesn't make sense she tried to explain to me and said it's kind of like you know when in our scriptures talk about when the angel appeared to abraham and to sarah and said in your old age you will have a child that didn't make sense or or when he appeared to the mother of samson and said i know that you are unable to give birth but you will have a child a year from now it's kind of like those stories we heard growing up remember those stories and angels came to me. Why would I do this to you? I'm not making it up. I didn't ask for this, Joseph. We talked for a while, but I couldn't get over the fact that there's no way I can believe this story. And even if I did, there's no way my parents will believe it. There's no way anyone is going to believe this. What are they going to think of us? Even if I explain to them, no, it wasn't me, I've been faithful, they're going to either think, then you're weak and you're marrying someone who's been cheating on you. Why would you do that? Or they're going to look at me and say, Joseph, look at the evidence, you're lying. It's just not going to work. So that night, I had some spicy salsa and I went to bed and I had a dream. It's a crazy dream. You see, in this dream, an angel appeared to me. Now, I know in your culture, these things are not very common, and you dismiss them. But in my culture, we believe that God could speak to us this way. And the angel appeared to me, and it was more than a dream. And the angel said, Joseph, I know what you're thinking. And I know why you're thinking this. It makes sense. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to keep Mary as your wife. Play this thing out, Joseph. Stay with her. Remain faithful to her. 
Because something different has happened here. Because of the Holy Spirit's presence, she will give birth to a child. She's been faithful, Joseph. And the angel reminded me of that prophet Isaiah in another time who said, a sign will be given to you and the sign is that the virgin will be with child. And you will call his name Immanuel, which means God with us. The angel explained to me, Joseph, this is a fulfillment of this prophecy. You see, because our teachers of the law talk about the prophets and they say that all of the prophets prophesy about the Messiah and all of creation was created for the Messiah. We've been waiting for a Messiah. We've been waiting for a Son of God. We have the prophecies. I just never thought it would happen this way and I never thought it would happen to me. So that night I had that dream and in the morning when I woke up something was different. For some reason I knew this would be difficult but I also knew that Mary was telling the truth. That God was breaking in to human history once again. And so I did what the angel asked me to do. And it was the hardest thing I ever did. But I remained faithful to Mary. I didn't touch her until the child was born and our year was up. And that child, let me tell you, starting in the very first night, we knew that this indeed was the Son of God. The hardest thing I ever did. It affected me the rest of my life. But when I looked at this child, I knew God was with us. And he's with us till this day. When we step back for a moment and pause and look at the story, when we think of this story that for many of us maybe is familiar, perhaps you grew up in the church hearing this story year after year, Maybe you didn't grow up in the church, but you've seen the Christmas specials, you've heard the songs, and maybe you at least know a bit of what the story's about. Have you ever stopped to wonder what that would have been like for Mary and for Joseph? I mean, they didn't ask for this. God gave them this. And it's always peculiar to me when I think of this story and I think, God, why did you do it that way? It was so unexpected. It was so different than what anyone would have thought. Yet when you go back and start looking through the prophecies and read the prophets, you can piece it together and say, oh, okay, it makes sense now. But isn't it interesting how God did this? How he broke into human history. This morning what I want to do is we start off this series and we're going to unpack this story a little bit more. But as we do that, we need to first ask the question is why then? Why did God enter into human history when he did? Why is it that he showed up at that time in first century? 
We believe it was probably somewhere around 4 to 6 BC, actually. Our calendars are off a little. But why then? And we need to understand a little bit about what was happening in Israel. So a, a, a quick just background for us to understand is Israel had now at this point been under the oppression of foreign governments for about 600 years to this point. And they had first the Assyrians and then the Persians and then the Greek Empire and now the Roman Empire ruled over Israel. And through each of these empires, they felt a different level and different style of oppression. They had some freedoms and some were taken away. Actually, when the Roman Empire came in, they actually uh, had become, it, it came because of a rebellion against Greece and then Israel, in a way, kind of made a treaty with Rome. And now here's another empire. See, the problem with the Roman Empire is they tolerated the Jewish faith, but they said, but you also better tolerate all of our gods. And in addition to that, Caesar is God. And you need to pay tribute to Caesar and even carry around coins with his image if you want to buy anything. And these are all offensive to the Jewish faith. In fact, at one time, they even had the Roman seal put over the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. But at, finally, there was enough of an uproar that they removed that because it was having an idol in the temple. But you can see that in their faith, they were being challenged. Their faith was at odds with Rome. And so after hundreds of years of this, they had been growing more and more uh, discontent and wondering, God, are you going to leave us in this state forever? So their expectations were really at an all-time high, yet their hope was maybe at an all-time low. God, are you going to show up? And to top it off, that's the political side. On the religious side, what happened at this point in their history is there's their leaders, their, their priests and their teachers kind of broke into two camps. And it was starting here. And, and you have one camp was called the Sadducees. And they were ones that were the political branch of their faith. And they had become, they made a treaty with Rome and they actually were more interested in their alliance and allegiance to Rome than even their God. Which reminds us that you never should have your politics elevated beyond your worship of God. But the Sadducees did. And then the other side of their, their, the other branch of their faith, if you will, a group that we now know of as the Pharisees, were the kind of known as the highly religious ones. But here's the problem with what happened with them at this time. Is that according to the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, they had about 613 laws to follow. Can you imagine that? Many of us follow a lot of these on accident. Some of them are very easy. But in addition to those 613, there were hundreds of extra laws put on top to help you follow those laws. For example, just to follow the Sabbath alone, where it said, keep the Sabbath, don't work one day a week, there was hundreds of laws explaining what was work and what wasn't work. And so imagine what it would be if you wanted to live a righteous life. Imagine what it would be if you said, we're not going to bow to Rome and, and, and go the political route. We're going to remain faithful to our God, but you have thousands now of laws that you're being reminded of and trying to follow. Ten commandments are hard enough <laughs> to add thousands to the mix. And so, from a, a religious, spiritual point of view perspective, 
they were discouraged as well. The burden of trying to follow their faith was more than most could bear. The hypocrisy and all of that was at a high. So it was at a time when God knew this is a great time to break in. People needed hope. They needed a Messiah. Now the prophets, most of the prophets that wrote, wrote from the time of right before Israel started facing these foreign oppressors, most of them. And they wrote, first of all, of warnings, telling people, hey, watch how you live, or God's going to hand you over, and and you're going to have to face the consequences for your life of turning away from me. And then the prophets wrote about words of encouragement. Okay, I know that now you're facing foreign oppressors, but be encouraged. I'm still a God of compassion. I'm still a God who cares. I'm still a God who loves you. I'm not turning my back on you, so take comfort in my presence. And then thirdly, the prophets would say things like this. There is hope because I will send my son, the Messiah, which is, means the anointed one. Anointed one from God, designed by God to come and he will deliver you. He will redeem you from your sins, set you free, and give you a restored relationship, friendship with me. So the prophets were speaking of that and reminding them that there will be a Messiah. You can have hope even at your lowest points. So Israel now had these things in mind. And they were thinking about them and talking about them. In fact, they had two rumored messiahs in the previous, in in year about 135 BC. They had one who they said, could this be our messiah? And then later there was another one who came up with the same name. Both were named Judas. They said, could this be our messiah? So they were thinking and expecting and looking for God to send someone to set them free and to deliver them. So it was a time when Jesus when God was preparing to send Jesus. I, I think of it this way too, uh, on some just real practical things, just so you know. Um, in year 70 AD, it's important to know this, in year 70, the temple was destroyed and Israel was dispersed, never to reform as a nation until 1948. The Messiah, because God is a God of order, needed to come before that temple was destroyed and the nation was dispersed because it had to do with the sacrificial system and the symbolism of that and being born into a nation. So he had to come before Rome would destroy Jerusalem. It also, Jesus also came at a time when, when the Greeks were in power, they established essentially one language throughout the, throughout the whole world. There was one diplomatic language that was spoken, it was Greek. When Jesus was born, there was one language that allowed for the rapid spread of ideas. First time ever, you can communicate cross-culturally. It makes sense almost that the spread of Christianity happened faster than any other faith in history. It was at a time of the ancient internet that was established there. Roman roads also were built for the very first time. You could travel safely and quickly. So you look at all this and you say, wow, even on a very practical moment, it was a good time for the Messiah to be born. But there's even more to it. I think of it this is, is the next question that we really need to ask is, okay, that's kind of the practical reason of why or when, why he came when he did. But here's the next question is, why did he come in the first place? Why did God need to show up is a question we should ask. Now, I have three boys, 
And I, I was raised, I had a brother and a boy dog. Um, both of my parents were, were farmers in northern Minnesota. And when they got married, my dad joined the army. He was a Green Beret. He was an officer in the Green Beret. And, and so that's kind of my upbringing. That's my background. And, and, and then you take that into a house with boys. Um, there's just a lot of testosterone flowing around my world. My wife grew up in a house with three sisters. We got married and God thought it would be funny if we had three boys. It, he probably also thought it'd be funny if we had three girls, but either way. <laughs> so we had three boys. Now there's times with three boys that my wife has to look at me. She said she uses me as the gauge because they'll start wrestling or fighting or playing and her first response is somebody's going to get hurt. But then she realizes I still haven't looked up from the paper <laughs> or from the game or whatever. And so she learned to gauge and look at me and see like, okay, if he's not reacting, maybe I shouldn't react quite yet. <laughs> and she says to this day, she knows if I get nervous and react, then uh-oh, there's really trouble. We, some line has been crossed. And, and I get it, my upbringing, my line's probably a little too far over. I get that. It's all right. But it's the way it is. So, but here's how it works. And most dads can probably relate. Now, the boys can be playing, wrestling, whatever they are, fighting, whatever it is. And for guys, we don't often want to get up from what we're doing. If we're having our coffee, like, fight, but don't get to the point where I have to get up. In fact, my dad used to say, and maybe you've said the same thing, don't make me come down there. Anyone ever hear that in here? Okay, yeah. So it's just embedded in our human DNA, right? Don't make me come down there. Don't cross that line. And in my house, if I have to go down there, it means that the fight got too bad, the mess got too big, I'm going to have to sew someone's arm up, something like that. But so we'd say, don't make me come down there. And then when they cross a line and I say, that's it, I'm coming down. I'm coming down there. We know that it gets to a certain point. Now I think this is the story of Christmas. That God is looking at human history and saying, God, don't, don't do that. Come on, don't do, okay, that's it. He gets to the point where he says, don't make me come down there. <laughs> and the very first Christmas, Jesus is looking at the angels. He's like, that's it. I'm going down. I've got to go there. And he breaks into history because it got to a point when it was time for him to set things straight, to clean up the mess, that mankind has created. And it's one of the most bizarre things you'll ever hear. The theologian J.I. Packard once says this, the real difficulty, the supreme mystery with, the gospel confront, with which the gospel confronts us does not lie in the Good Friday message of atonement nor in the Easter message of the resurrection. But the supreme mystery that we're confronted with is the Christmas message of the Incarnation. The message that God showed up in the form of man. What must have it gotten to? What point did we get to that he showed up? So let's just explore two reasons here that I believe God shows up as a man. Why he prophesied that he would come down. Why he entered into creation. And we need to understand this to understand the Christmas story. First is this is he came down because sin requires a sacrifice. 
Because sin requires a sacrifice. You see, the very first picture of humanity is Adam and Eve are walking around the Garden of Eden. They're enjoying. This is a symbol of paradise. It's, it's, they're, they're in, there's no shame. They're experiencing life the way God has intended it. And it's, we're even described that they're walking in the garden with God. His very presence is there. They can see God's presence. That's how mankind was created, to exist in perfect harmony with God. But Adam and Eve, this, who are the first, represent all of mankind, they wanted what? They decided that they wanted to be able to pass judgment because that's the one thing God did that they didn't. It's represented in the symbol of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they wanted that because that's what God can do. We want to be able to do that too. And as soon as mankind's able to pass judgment... When you can judge someone, then all of a sudden you can know if you measure up or not. And you start to feel shame or pride. And shame and pride then kind of lead to envy and jealousy and greed. And then it can lead to anger. It can lead to manipulation and lying. It can lead to violence. And you can see the cycle that happens all because we wanted something that God said you're not strong enough to have. And sin enters in. And Adam and Eve, who were walking around the garden, and they were naked and unashamed, as soon as they had sin, Scripture tells us this. They looked down, they realized they were naked, and they were embarrassed. They were embarrassed. I just read this week, I, I was reading about, because um, I was studying about Joseph and his dream, and I said, what are the common dreams we have today? Because that had to have been kind of weird. And I looked at the top ten dreams that people have, and I think it was like number two was the dream of public nakedness, or being underclothed. And, and, and so, you know, most people see, and it, but the funny thing, it said in your dreams, you usually aren't embarrassed about being naked, you just think it's weird. You're like, I don't know. Okay, so, but so Adam and Eve... We're walking around and all of a sudden they looked down and said, it's getting a lot breezier in here since we ate from that tree. <laughs> and you had love handles you didn't have a minute ago. What's going on? <laughs> and all of a sudden they started feeling shame and guilt and they were embarrassed and they hid from each other. Result of sin is shame. Now get this. This is important that we understand it. What did God do? He killed an animal to make clothes for them to wear so they wouldn't be embarrassed. He covered their shame by killing an animal. You see, the first sin resulted in the first sacrifice. And so, because God is a God of order and God is a God of justice, he, that what that did is it now enacted this idea that our sin requires a payment and the payment has to be death. And so temporarily, the Jewish people would every year have this day of atonement and sacrifice an animal to cover their sins. And it was symbolic, but it was always temporary and never sufficient. But so the only thing that would break the cycle of sin and sacrifice would be a sufficient sacrifice in place. The only sufficient sacrifice for mankind would be a perfect human who would stand in the place of mankind. The only perfect human could be God in flesh. So God had to come down if we were ever to be set free from this endless cycle of sin and of sacrifice. So Jesus enters in. 
You know, when I think of the first story and I think of Joseph, I think they were waiting for a Messiah, but I don't know that they knew. Even though it's, when you look back and you see in the, the prophets, I don't know if they knew they were raising their son to be a sacrifice for all humanity. It must have been difficult. But why did God come as a man? Why did he come down? It was one, to save us from our sins. To break the endless cycle of sin and sacrifice. The second one is this. To save us from our separation. Now get this too. Let's go back to the creation story. Mankind, again, as I mentioned, we're walking around. We're in the presence of God. We're near Him day after day experiencing His presence. But because of sin, God was a holy God and says, you have to be separated from me. Now, God's presence didn't disappear altogether, but that closeness, that intimacy, that friendship was severed. And so mankind no longer could experience life in paradise. Even that was an act of grace, by the way, because if they did, they would live forever in a state of sin. So they they were kicked out of paradise. And the closeness with God was gone. See, the original creation is God was with us as mankind. God walked with us. His presence was among us, around us all the time. But sin separated that. So why did God come back down? Why did the prophet say that he will return? It's because in the soul of humanity, we're created needing a closeness with our creator. Creation needs the presence of its creator. French philosopher Blaise Pascal once said that we're all created with a God-shaped hole in our hearts. If you look at humanity, there's something that's missing and we can fill it with a lot of different things and we've tried and we continue to try. But all of us ultimately fall short because we're creation is created with this need to be, have a connection with our Creator. And when God is not with us, we're missing that. We're missing the wholeness of who we are supposed to be, what we're created to be. Even the renowned atheist Frederick Nietzsche describes how hopeless life can be and how meaningless things are. He never came to the conclusion that's because his life was spent apart from that connection with the Creator, but ultimately that's what he was describing. Creation is designed to have a friendship with the Creator, a connection with the Creator, by God coming down and entering in in the form of Jesus. He made a way to restore and redeem this friendship with Him, this relationship with Him. He broke through the norms and changed everything. Paul in the New Testament writes and calls it the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus comes to provide a way for us to once again have a good, a redeemed, a restored relationship with our Creator. So Jesus comes to fix that, to provide a way for that. Ultimately now we can experience His presence daily with the Holy Spirit in, among, around, through us. God's presence, we're created to be pre- have His presence with us. So He came down to break the cycle of sin and sacrifice. And He came down because we're made to be with Him. Now here's the question for us today. Is how should we respond to this? 
How should we respond to this story of the first Christmas? If we think about how Mary responded and how Joseph responded, I think we can find a lot of the ways that we tend to react. Look at the story of Joseph here in in, in Matthew chapter 1. His first response was to send Mary away because he wanted he was a righteous person. He said, I want to do what's right and I'm not even going to destroy your relationship, but I'm going to send you away and I'm going to try to pick up the pieces and move on with life, eventually find someone else and life will go on. It's not going to be easy. This is still going to mar my reputation, but I've got to do this. I'll try to do it quietly. But why did Joseph want to respond that way? We find the hint in what the angel says to him. When the angel appears to Joseph, the angel says, Joseph, do not be afraid. See, how many of us are afraid to respond to the Savior? We don't really want Jesus to come in and change everything. We like the story of Christmas. We even like the idea of of saying, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus or I'm a Christian, but we are often afraid to let Jesus actually change things it might mess up a reputation as joseph found following jesus might make life a little more difficult following jesus might have you make decisions that you wouldn't have made otherwise and we experience fear so one of our first things that we need to know to respond is can we set aside our fear and embrace the savior What is it in your life? Where do you feel fear when you think of following Jesus? Some of you here are amazing examples of people who have learned the freedom of fully following him. And I'm encouraged by you. Really am. I think of times when, you know, I hear so many stories of pastors on planes and how they just, they're like, oh, I've got five hours to preach to the person next to me. You know, and they they look forward to that opportunity. And I... This and I'm always feel convicted because I'll sit down next to someone and I'm like, I have five hours. I'm throwing my headphones on. Please don't say hi to me. Just don't even talk to me. I just want to sit here. And I'm going to read my Bible, but I'm going to read it like this because I don't want you to be like, oh, but reading your Bible, huh? I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Sometimes it's just because I don't know. I think there's a fear. Maybe it's a fear of my life being affected. I'm going to be inconvenienced. I don't want to enter into this conversation now. I just kind of want to relax. What if this person talks the whole five hours? <laughs> yeah, so sometimes what I do is like the last half hour, I'll pull out the Bible and like tilt, pull out the headphones. and like, okay, God, does that count? Um, but <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes there's fear. God, will you inconvenience my life more than I want you to? You see, because the first Christmas, the story of how Jesus enters in, he just, he just never goes to Joseph and say like, hey, Joseph, is this going to be okay? Are you okay with this? Hey, Mary, I got this crazy idea. I thought I would kind of enter in. and what, Do you want to be the mother? Because if you don't, I'll find someone else. It's fine. No, he didn't ask. See, sometimes following Jesus is inconvenient too. How will we respond today? For some of you here today, you need to receive the gift. God came down and he's offering you a gift of his friendship. 
He's offering you an opportunity to be set free from sin and sacrifice. Today, will you receive that gift? It's there for you. And then secondly, if you've received the gift, will you be a bearer of that gift? Will you bring that gift? Will you be a part of a church of people who want our world to know that God came down? And because He came down, we can have hope when there's hopelessness. That we can have something to look forward to. That there's peace that we'll find in our lives. That there's joy that we're created to experience, yet we miss out on often. That there's love that doesn't come from a nice little Christmas story and the spirit of Christmas that comes from Jesus. Will you be a bearer of that gift? Will you bring that gift? How will you respond today? And do you have to get over your fear, your inconvenience, and just receive? This whole series of Advent, we're going to celebrate what it means that God came down. And I have to confess, for me, it's, it's often something I take for granted. But this year, I want to be fully invested in this story. I want to be someone like Joseph and Mary and say, God, come interrupt me. Interrupt me with your presence. Show me what that would be like. That's a scary prayer. But can we pray that today? We invite the worship team to start making their way up. And as we end our time here, I want to reiterate those two questions. One, today do you need to receive that gift of Jesus? To be set free from sin, to experience His presence. Do you have that God-shaped hole that you know has not been filled no matter what you're trying? Today, do you want that hole filled? I'm going to invite you in a moment to pray with us. After the service, I'd love to meet you up front here and let's just talk. Give you an opportunity to experience what Jesus gives. And secondly, will you bring that gift? Will you be a bearer of that gift in the people in your lives this Christmas season? Because God came down. Because God came down. We have hope. We have peace. We have joy. We have something that we wouldn't have without Him. So let's bring that gift. So pray with me. God, I thank You that in the very first Christmas when You entered in that You burst onto the scene in a way that wasn't expected. But Lord, Lord, you burst on the scene when a time when you were needed most. And God, you caused people to confront their fears, to confront their insecurities, to confront their biases, to confront all the things that were holding them back from experiencing true life. And God, you still do that for us today. You ask us to face those things and every time you answer with the fact that you are the solution for all of us. So Lord, if there's anyone in here this morning who has never received the gift that happened that first Christmas, God, would you open their hearts this morning and if that's you here today, would you just pray a prayer and say, God, would you forgive me for my sins? Would you enter into my life 
and help me follow you. Receive the gift this morning. And for the others here who today who we've already received that gift, God, would you give us courage to bear that gift, to bring that gift to our world. Lord, to set down our fears, to set down our insecurity, and to bear that gift. Would you empower us today? And move in this place and help this church be a church that's all about you and celebrating your presence. God with us. The thing we need most. So we thank you for this time. And and God, even now as we take the offering, may it be uh, our way of declaring that you are God, you are Lord over our stuff. And we trust that this is in your hands too. So we thank you and give you this time now. Amen.